That's what the multitudes sing. It's not because it's a song on repeat. It's not because someone is asking them to say those words. They are saying what they see. They are saying, they are singing what they behold. Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. We worship you tonight, Lord God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that because of Jesus' sacrifice, our identities have been changed. We've gone from lost to found, from broken to new creation, from orphan to child of God, from dead to alive, from bankrupt to co-heir, from wrecked to redeemed. We thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here tonight. Have your way in this place. Have your way in each of us. Guide us, speak to us, mould us, prune us. Have your way in us tonight. We love you. We're here to worship you, to hear your word. Pray you bless each person here tonight. Thank you they would experience and encounter your love, your mercy, your grace and your truth. that not one of us would leave unchanged tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Welcome, everyone. Good to see you all. Who's happy to be in church tonight? Good to see all your smiling faces. It's beautiful. And... Um, I think the kids have left us, but I'll make a few quick announcements before I get into the word. So the kids' room is for kids age four and up. So if you're new here and you wanna, you've got kids above four, they're welcome to join the kids' program. And if you do want to see them during the service, use the outside door, not this door here, because it just disturbs them and us. And we are on uh, Wednesday nights as well, downstairs in the bigger room, 7.30. And uh, I think that's it. Anything I missed? No? <laughs> Good. Um, Pastor Tony couldn't be here tonight, and, um, but he did. He did tell me he, he had a word for someone, and it was a word from God, and he did want me to share it. And so I'm not sure who it is for, but I just feel to deliver it, and it was Go Para. <laughs> All right, so a couple of Wednesdays ago I preached, um, <clears throat> I shared my testimony and also preached on, a, um, on the topic of truth, and I'm not going to preach the same message, but I'm going to touch on it to begin with, um, because I believe there's something God wants to add to that message. Some of you may have heard it, some of you may not have, so I'll, I'll quickly recap it, and then... Um, I'll go into my actual message, but I, sp I spoke about um, the scripture in John chapter 8, verse 32, which is, um, if you, uh, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I spoke about how we have a father of lights, a father of truth, and there's another father of lies who's the enemy, and he comes to confuse, he comes to plant lies in our minds to take us away from God's truth. And if he can succeed in doing that, he'll dismantle us. He'll dismantle our destiny. He'll dismantle who we were created to be by God. And we end up 
destroyed. But thank God, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And so Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so knowing the truth and freedom are connected. And so if you want freedom in a particular area, there is truth about that thing you're going through. There is truth in God's word. There is truth by the Holy Spirit that when it comes, it sets you free. And But tonight I want to take us on the preceding scripture, which is what when Jesus says, and he puts the condition there. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so there's a precondition to knowing the truth, and that is abiding in his word and being his disciple. And after I, I preached that word, I thought, uh, and I shared how um, when I had an encounter with God, I just became so hungry for, for his word. And I just, wanted, I just wanted to eat his truth because I realized it was making me free. But it got me thinking, you know, what was it that actually made me go after the truth? What, what makes us want God's truth? Because there were a lot of people around me at the time going through the same thing that I did that didn't want the truth and actually rejected it, didn't want a bar of it, would run from it. So what was the key ingredient to wanting the truth, to, to wanting, you know, I shared the scripture in Proverbs 23, 23, which was buy the truth, go and buy it, as in purchase it, pay a price for the truth. But what makes someone want to pay a price what makes someone want to buy the truth? God, desire, God desires truth in the innermost parts, but what makes us desire that truth in our innermost parts? What is it? So if knowing the truth sets us free, what is it that makes us want to know the truth? What is the starting point of knowing that truth? <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 tells us what it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The Bible is telling us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Jesus says, you know, you'll have knowledge of the truth and the truth will set you free. But to have that knowledge or the starting point of that knowledge, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 tells us, is the fear of the Lord. And that's what I want to preach about tonight. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. So what's that word, the beginning of knowledge mean? What's beginning mean? Well, in, in Greek, in the Strongs, it means the chief thing, the first thing, the principal thing, the best thing, the choice part. And it's saying the chief thing, it's like the, the first thing, the first part, the choice part of getting knowledge that will ultimately set you free is the fear of the Lord. And I'm going to explain what the fear of the Lord is. And I know Rabs has preached on the fear of the Lord a lot. And um, I spoke to him, I think it was yesterday. And he said, what are you preaching on? And I said, the fear of the Lord. And I loved his response and I felt to share it with everyone. His response was, my favorite. And you see the fruit of someone walking um, in the fear of the Lord when it's their favorite thing, you see the fruit of that. So knowledge has to be built on a foundation, and that foundation is the fear of the Lord. And you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if it's not grounded in the fear of the Lord, it may lead to pride because knowledge puffs up, 
or you'll, you, you, you won't actually make progress. You'll struggle to, to experience that freedom that Jesus is talking about. Um, you'll struggle to be effective. You might find yourself in that cycle of sin, of um, sinning and going back to Jesus for forgiveness and sinning again and staying on that treadmill, struggling to mature, but struggling to put on the new man that Paul talks about. And the reason why I've, I've, this message is so close to me because it was I, I remember a time in my life where I was struggling with a, with a certain sin that men tend to struggle with. And, you know, people recommend stuff to you. Go do this program, go see this person, um, go get counselling. There's this app on your phone that can help you. And, and there's a million things that people will suggest to you. And I was in that cycle of sinning and going back to Jesus, Jesus confessing, washing me clean, dealing with the guilt and the shame and the condemnation, constantly going back. And I remember it was... I went, sat in God's presence one day and it completely broke off me in an instant. And it broke off me because in that moment I saw the holiness of God and it was like the fear of the Lord came on me in that moment and I saw, I beheld his holiness and how awesome he was and what he actually required from me he required that truth and he required that holiness in me. And it, from that day, I was completely set free from that addiction, let's call it. And it didn't require a program. It didn't require counselling. It didn't require anything like that. It was a moment in God's presence where the fear of the Lord came upon me and it was like one of those <gasps> moments where I, I almost couldn't believe what I was doing and how it offended God and that I loved him so much. And I saw his awesomeness and I realized I wasn't acting in reverence to him. And when I saw that, I was free in an instant. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 to 5. This is beautiful. This is a prophecy about Jesus. You know, hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, Isaiah had many prophecies about Jesus, and this is one of them. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, which is the line of David, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, etc., etc. This is Jesus, and it's saying he had the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The spirit of the fear of the Lord was upon him. Jesus walked in the fear of the Lord. And he calls us to do the same. And I love it says his delight is in the fear of the Lord. A lot of people think the fear of the Lord is being afraid of God, terrified of him, um, like this dread of being in God's presence, but Jesus is saying it's, it was his delight to fear the Lord. And I love what it says in verse 3, and it says he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. It's saying he, he didn't make judgments based on what he saw, and he didn't decide by the hearing of his ears. He didn't, he just, he didn't make decisions based on what he heard. It was like the fear of the Lord was what, it was the lens he looked through. He never judged someone except if it was through the lens of the fear of the Lord. And that's how he was able to love people. <clears throat> so what's the difference between the spirit of fear and the spirit of the fear of the Lord? Because the Bible is clear in Second Timothy 
chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So he's not given us a spirit of fear. And we're not to come. He, he hasn't invited us into his presence to be terrified of him. <clears throat> so a lot of people have that uh, view of God, that he's waiting to catch them or punish them, or he's waiting for you to slip up so he can you know, lay into you. And that leads to looking at God as unapproachable, keeps you out of his presence, keep you, keeps you running away from him. And you see God as a tyrant, not as a father. And you fear his power and his retribution. And you have this dread of displeasing him. And you constantly feel like you're, you're just letting him down constantly. And it's interesting in Matthew chapter 25, verse 25, we, we get a glimpse of what it looks like when someone is afraid of God rather than having the fear of the Lord. And it's the parable of the talents where Jesus distributes different talents to different people. And one of them, the unprofitable servant, it says, was corrected for being wicked and lazy after he made the excuse, I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground instead of using it productively. And other translations will say, I was afraid that you were a hard master. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. I was afraid of you, God, and therefore I was unprofitable. So do you see how being afraid of God leads to being ineffective? And it actually paralyzes you. So being afraid of God is very different to the fear of the Lord. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 tells us that cowardly or the fearful will not be in God's kingdom. But the spirit of the Lord is the opposite of being afraid of God. So if I was to define the fear of the Lord, how would I define it? I would define it as a deep, holy, reverential respect and awe for God for God's word and for God's commands. I'll repeat that. It's a deep, holy, reverential respect and awe for God, for God's word, and for obeying God's command. And that's what I experienced that day when I, when I was set free of that addiction. It was, whoa, God is holy, God is awesome. God deserves my respect. And Lord, I lay this sin down at your feet and I thank you for forgiving me and for washing me. And because I see who you truly are and how awesome and powerful and mighty and holy you are, I won't walk this way anymore. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that it's bearing fruit in me, that it's setting me free and I can walk free and pure from here on. <clears throat> so it's been a short definition would be holy awe. Holy awe of God. And you move out of reverence and you're obedient, not out of fear of him, but out of reverence for him. Not being afraid of his punishment, out of your love and your reverence and respect for him. So, in I want to take you to a scripture to show you the difference between being afraid of God and the fear of the Lord. So, if we go to Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 to 18, Israel had just left uh, Egypt come out of slavery, slavery and led by Moses to Mount Sinai where God would reveal his glory. And this is the scripture. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. <clears throat> And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, 
because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. That is the awesome magnificence of God, and that Israel is experiencing it in that moment. So he, God manifests himself in sight, and they could hear his audible voice. When, when Moses spoke, they heard him audibly. And now see the reaction of the people. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 to 20, the next scripture. And the, the, the heading in the New King James Version is the people afraid of God's presence. It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So we see a difference between being afraid of God and the fear of the Lord. The people trembled, and when you're afraid of God, you draw back. They didn't want to hear his voice. So Moses, we'll hear from you, but we don't want to hear from God. And they didn't want to be in his presence. And so if you're wondering how to distinguish between being afraid of God and the fear of the Lord in your own life, if that features in your life, running from his presence, not wanting to hear his voice, and trembling and drawing back from him, then that's being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord drives you into his presence. And it's interesting, Moses, it's almost, it almost sounds contradictory. He says, do not fear. God has come to test you that his fear may be before you. So there's two different fears here. And the first one he's saying, do not fear. Do not have that fear where you're afraid of God. But God has come to test you. So what has God come to test? Is God wanting to see what's in their heart? God, God knows what's in their heart. But he wants to reveal to them what's in their heart. And that is a lack of the fear of the Lord. So Moses is saying, do not fear, but fear the Lord. Do we see the difference? Yeah? <clears throat> so Exodus chapter 20, verse 21. The people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So the truth is, if we do not fear God, we'll be afraid of him. If we don't have the fear of the Lord, we'll be afraid of God. <clears throat> so we've got to be careful because we hear a lot about the grace of God, and so we should, because none of us can stand without his grace, without his love, without his mercy, and we run to him for those things. But we need to understand that the fear of the Lord is just as foundational as all those wonderful things we run to God for. So we can get fixated on his grace and his mercy and lose sight of the fact that his mercy, his kindness is meant to lead us repentance, meant to lead us to a fear of the Lord, meant to lead us to transformation, that his grace comes, yes, we can't earn it, yes, it's unmerited favour, but it's not just to forgive us, it's to empower us to change. Grace is actually his power to change. <clears throat> 
So his grace is actually his empowerment to obey him. But if we, if we, we can, sometimes it's easy to get, get that twisted. And you end up using the grace of God as a license to keep sinning. And people will say, oh, yeah, you know, just keep, keep running back to God. And, you know, um, that's, that's how it's always going to be. Like, he who says that they don't sin is a liar. So we've got to accept that we're always, gonna, we're always just going to sin. But thank God God's there. And you just run to him and he's going to cleanse you and, and forgive you. And, and when you fall next time, just go back and run into his presence. And that's all, that's all true. But it's got to be held with the fear of the Lord, where we recognize that God's grace is there to move us forward. <clears throat> so sometimes another attitude that you notice in a lot of Christian believers is people say, God's grace will cover this. So they know they're living in sin. They say, God's grace will cover this. He loves me and he understands my heart and he wants me to be happy no matter the cost. He knows my heart. And we don't verbalize it that way, but a lot of the time that's what people think in their hearts. And that's why the grace of God needs to go hand in hand with his truth and with the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> so in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, Paul says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Yes, let us have grace. Thank you, God, for your grace. We are what we are by the grace of God. Who can stand without his grace? But by that grace, we may serve God acceptably with reverence Godly fear. Grace and reverence and godly fear go together. So without the fear of the Lord, unfortunately, grace gets perverted. And what ends up happening is a person, what, what God calls holy, people begin to see as common and people end up living with an irreverent attitude towards God. And so going back to when I asked the question, what was it that made me want his truth so bad? It was because I actually did have a, a reverence for God. So I'd, as a young child, I'd experienced God. Um, I, I loved God. I would always tell my parents, um, drop me off at church. Even I'd go alone, and I was young, like 11, 12. And be like, can you just drop me off at church? I just want to go to church. I want to be, um, I want to be with God. Sometimes I'd go and sleep over in the church by myself. I just wanted to be close to God. And when at that age, if I would pray in my room and say I open the Bible or something like that, my room would actually fill with incense. It would fill with smoke and with the aroma of incense. And it used to just amaze me and it used to amaze everyone in my family as well because they'd see it and they'd smell it and they'd always be asking if I'm burning it in my room. But I'd say, no, it just, it just comes. And so God showed me how real he was as a young child. And so when I, when I had that, came to that crossroads where it was like, do I seek the truth here or do I stay oblivious to the, to the truth? That fear of God came upon me because I knew he was real and I knew how awesome he was. And the, that fear came upon me. And it wasn't a terror. It was, God, I know you're real. I love you. You've revealed yourself to me even as a young child and I just want to pursue truth because of how real and how true and how amazing you are. So God is not <clears throat> the sugar daddy in the sky. He's not looking for short-lived obedience. He wants all of us. And he doesn't want us living as spoiled children. He wants us to mature. And the fear of the Lord is the key to that. 
I'll take us to a scripture in Acts chapter 5. Now, you might think I'm reading an Old Testament scripture here, but it is the New Testament. And it's, it's a severe scripture, let's say. And it's a, it's a long one, so come with me. Tune in. And it's about Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. So it's Acts chapter 5, and I'm starting at verse 5. So a certain name, a man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, they bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. They sold a block of land, they, they came, they kept a bit of it back, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So Ananias and Sapphira sell this land and they... They didn't, first of all, they didn't have to sell the land. And second of all, they didn't have to give everything that they sold it for to the apostles. But they came and they said, we sold the land and we're, we're laying at your feet everything that we sold it for, the whole amount. And that's where the deception was. And then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last he dropped dead. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. <coughs> Excuse me. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. That's a heavy scripture, right? Because... We're talking about people lying in the presence of God, lying to, to, to God's apostles and dropping dead in an instant, in the moment. And we might think, yeah, man, that sounds like Old Testament God, but this is New Testament, right? So God is merciful, he's holy, he's gracious, but he's also righteous, he's also a judge. Yes, he's the lamb, but he's also the lion. And thank God that he covers us with his mercy. And, and you might be thinking, man, I've, I've done worse than that. Why haven't I dropped dead? Or I know people who've done worse than that. Why haven't they dropped dead? And thank God for his mercy that <laughs> wakes us up every day. But I believe he allows these things as a warning to the church. And this is the amazing part about the scripture, right? It says... The, the end of that line was, so great fear came upon all the church and all who heard these things. It's interesting that the fear came upon the church. It didn't come upon those outside the church. It came upon the church. And then look at the, this, the scripture immediately following this in verse 12. It says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared to join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick into the streets and laid them, bed, laid them on beds and couches. Then at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathering from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So we see the Acts of the Apostles, healing, multitudes coming to the Lord, demons being cast out, people being healed. And what's the scripture immediately before it? So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. 
And then it says, and through the hands of the apostles, all these things happen. And it was like, the signs and wonders follow those who walk in the fear of the Lord. And it was like God purified the church through what he did with Ananias and Sapphira to bring back the fear of the Lord into the church so that they could actually be true ambassadors of Christ, so that they could actually walk in the Holy Spirit. And it just goes to show that their sacrifice, Ananias and Sapphira, not only was it sinful, it was a useless sacrifice because it wasn't done in the fear of the Lord. They had ulterior motives, whatever their, their reason was. We don't know what it was, but it was, a, it was an unrighteous sacrifice because, and it wasn't done out of the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> so we see that when great, when the fear of the Lord comes upon the church, then signs and wonders follow. I want to sh show you it again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. And it shows you the life, our life cycle of a believer in this scripture. <clears throat> so it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great, first of all, mercy, right? First thing we experience when we come to God is his mercy, yeah? He has given us new birth. Next stage, thank new birth. We're born again. First we experience his mercy, he gives us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. We, have, we receive his inheritance, which is kept in heaven for you, and through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Then the trials come. Who's experienced that? God's mercy, new birth, the trials come. These have come so that, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined fire by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, right? We say we love, we love him. Lord, we come, we come every week, we worship you, we love you. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We've experienced that. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're saved. We've received God's salvation. And it's, he starts in verse 10, talks about concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves but you and they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who've preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, verse 13, right? He say, said, you've received his grace, you've received his mercy, you're a new creation, you've been saved, you've received the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, 
Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. How do you honour the blood of Jesus? It's by living out your time here as a foreigner in reverent fear of the Lord. And I love that it's called the fear of the Lord, right? Yeah, some people talk about it as the fear of God, but notice how it's the fear of the Lord. It's like the fear of the Lord is when he becomes the Lord of your life. He can be God, but he becomes Lord when you have the fear of the Lord. That's when he becomes your Lord. He can be your saviour. He can be um, he can be all those things, Father, God, Creator, but he becomes Lord when you walk in that spirit of the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> so how do you how do you get that fear of the Lord? It's by the Holy Spirit. But like it was, as it was true for me, I can only encourage you with what I've been through and what, with what the Bible says. But it was sitting in his presence that that fear of the Lord came. And so you can initially be running away from his presence because... You're fearing him or you're afraid of him rather than having the fear of the Lord. But if you sit in his presence in truth, worshipping him in spirit and in truth, and you know you, you can come boldly and confidently before the throne of grace and actually sit there and he receives you, then he will reveal himself to you in that place, in that hidden place, in that secret place. And I don't know that it comes any other way. Yes, you can receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit through another person's word, through a sermon, through your own prayer time. But I believe you experience the fear of the Lord by sitting in his presence and beholding his awesomeness, beholding his holiness. <clears throat> so a lot of people, and I'll, I'll share these scriptures and then I'll, I'll wrap up. But a lot of people pray to God for a lot of things. And I'm going to show you how, with a few scriptures, that the fear of the Lord is actually the answer to a lot of those prayers. So people might come to God and ask for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom in a certain situation. And in Job chapter 28, verse 28, it says, Behold, the fear of the Lord... That is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. So if you want wisdom and understanding and you're praying to God for wisdom and understanding, then you have your answer. It's the fear of the Lord. Lord, how do I, how do I deal with lack? I have lack in my life. Psalm 34 verse 9 says, O fear the Lord, you, you his saints, there is no want to those who fear him. He frees you. The fear of the Lord frees you from that lack, from that poverty mindset, whatever it might be. There is no want to those who fear the Lord. That is an amazing scripture. Lord, bless my family. <clears throat> I want my family to be blessed. I want to take care of them. Psalm 112 verse 1 to 3. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. Wealth and riches will be in his house.
Psalm 115, verse 11 to 13. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He will bless us. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. Lord, bless me. He will, he will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. Someone who's praying, I don't know if anyone prays for a, for a longer life. Proverbs chapter 9 and 10 and 11. You don't have to put them up on the screen, but it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. What's the key? The fear of the Lord. Lord, I want confidence. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. Again, you don't have to go there. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Lord, humble me. Uh, I want humility. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. So humility and the fear of the Lord go hand in hand as well. Rabs has preached a lot about envy. And Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. Do not let your hearts envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. So what's the answer to envy? It's being zealous for the fear of the Lord. Because when you're in his presence... And you're beholding his awesomeness and his glory. How can you have envy in your heart? That thing will burn up in you, in his presence. Lord, I'm unstable. And unstable can mean lots of different things. Isaiah chapter 3, 33 verse 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the, the Lord is his treasure. Lord, um, use me. Lord, multiply the church. Um, Lord, um, let your, your gifts operate through me. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. They were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord together. You can't just have the comfort of the Holy Spirit because it will be short-lived without the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that sustains you. It sustains that comfort in the Holy Spirit. Amen? So why don't we stand and we'll pray. And then I think... I would like Mary to lead us in another song. And I want us to worship him in the fear of the Lord. Is that all right? You, you pick whatever song you want. But it's very easy for even something like worship to become common. And oh, we do it every week. We know three songs. But...
Behold God's glory, his awesomeness, his power. And let's worship him in that reverence, with that respect. Just before we do, Lord, we ask you to forgive us of any time we've been flippant towards you or where we've grown familiar with you, where we've taken you for granted, your, your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you baptize us in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And we come against any mindset that has people bound in thinking they can't move forward. They can't get out of this cycle. Thank you that the fear of the Lord comes. Now, thank you that it just draws us into your presence. We come against that spirit of fear that is opposite to the fear of the Lord. We ask you to identify it. We worship you, mighty God. We love you. We hunger for your truth and your word and your will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.